Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles, arms held wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, good morning. It is Wednesday, the 13th of July, 2022. Um, In case you missed it, which most people did, the House Select Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 riot at the U.S. Capitol held another hearing, public hearing yesterday. Um, I want to highlight something that Representative Jamie Raskin quoted because he quoted from a speech of then President Abraham Lincoln, which President Lincoln gave in 1837. So. I know it's hard for us to think back that far. Like, we can't think back that far. But we're talking about an era um, of division in this country that we certainly all hoped would never return. But when we talk about the depth of division in the nation today, in 2022, and you hear the testimony of people who were willing to um, storm the Capitol and those willing to align with Um, extremist militia groups here in the United States of America and absolutely willing to um, use violence against their fellow Americans. This is a legitimate parallel. And I also think that um, when we talk about what's happening in the nation today and we try to take the cultural temperature, the willingness of those advocating for abortion to use violence to advocate for the continuance of that practice um, is worthy of noting in the context of the larger cultural conversation that we're having about the eroding of our foundations. So in early November of 1837, a mob motivated by the desire to continue the institution of slavery in the United States broke into the office of a newspaper or actually a warehouse where the newspapers um, presses were being hidden. And the editor of that newspaper was not only a citizen journalist, he was also a Presbyterian minister and he had been preaching and writing in support of the humanity of every person. That's what he had been advocating from the pulpit and in his writing as a journalist that Every person, regardless of the color of their skin, was an image bearer of the living God and should be treated as such. And that slavery um, was was a moral um, scourge here in the United States. His name was Elijah Lovejoy. And he was an abolitionist and a mob killed him. And President Lincoln's speech pointed to the enemy within the enemy among us. And he said of America that no transatlantic military giant could ever crush uh, this nation, even if they had all the fortunes in the world. If downfall ever comes to downfall ever comes to America, President Lincoln said, we ourselves would be its author and finisher. 
If racist mobs encouraged by politicians to rampage and terrorize, Lincoln said, they will violate the rights of other citizens and quickly destroy the bonds of social trust necessary for democracy to work. Friends, that was 1837. And we talked yesterday about the degradation and erosion of the social trust necessary for democracy to work in these days. And as inspiration, um, I want you to know the story of Elijah Lovejoy, because Elijah Lovejoy died as a martyr, shot and killed by a mob determined to maintain the institution of slavery in these United States. Um, And so Elijah Lovejoy is a person whose name and story we should know. In 1834, excuse me, the most polarizing issue of the day was slavery. What is the most polarizing issue of the day in 2022? I would contend it is abortion. Um, In 1834, uh, Elijah Lovejoy described himself as an emancipationist. He wasn't even yet an abolitionist, but becoming so only took a couple of years. And he was motivated in no small part by um, the violence that came against him and his family and his work um, by those who were absolutely certain that slavery was the right way forward for us as a people. So over time, Elijah Lovejoy became bolder and more outspoken about his anti-slavery views, and he advocated the outright emancipation of all slaves on religious and moral grounds. Um, And he condemned slavery, and he implored Christians who owned slaves to recognize that those slaves were fellow human beings who possessed a soul. He famously wrote this, slavery as it exists among us is demonstrably evil. In every community where it exists, it presses like a nightmare on the body politic or like a vampire, slowly and imperceptibly sucking away the lifeblood of society, leaving it faint and disheartened. I think abortion is that demonstrable evil in the culture today. And I think it's sucking away our lifeblood as a people. And so I see the abolitionist movement related to abortion as similar in our days to the days in which Elijah Lovejoy spoke and wrote and died. So as you see pro-life pregnancy centers and churches targeted, as you see violence erupt when bloodthirsty advocates for abortion do not get their way, I want you to remember that we've been here before. We the people are a people with a history of division and, yes, violence, even civil war. And these are the days in which we live, and it's incumbent upon us to not shrink back in fear. We press into the challenges of this present day, and we do so with hope and light, come what may, indeed. Come Lord Jesus. Jeff Bilbro joins us next. We're going to talk about repairing the rents of history. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Jeff Bilbro is back. You can find him at frontporchrepublic.com. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. How are you doing? I am I am well. I am well. Good. Talk with us about that which rents history and how we repair the rents of history. We're not talking about, you know, like whether or not I got to pay the rent. What, what are we talking about? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, while I was away, I had this chance to go to a, a conference on memory and history in Wendell Berry uh, at a 
at a thousand year old cathedral in Wales. And one of the themes that kept coming up reminded me of the, the, the conversation. We kept reminding me of this poem by R.S. Thomas, who is a Welsh uh, Anglican priest, uh, poet of the 20th century. And in one of his poems, he talked about this, this Welsh peasant figure who he says was on the old side of life, helping life in through the dark door of earth and beast, quietly repairing the rents of history with your hands. And I think that's a good image uh, for for our task today of uh, repairing the the gaps in history, the things that we have forgotten, and also repairing the wrongs, um, the, the the historical wrongs that that maybe were complicit in in some way. I mean, I think your opening discussion of of um, abolition in the 19th century and its connections to uh, pro-life movement today, I think, is an example of that, how we think about the wrongs of history and how they might, how, how we might be called to repair and um, heal those today, even. It's hard um, in real time as it's happening yeah, to right. sort through a lot of this. Um, I mean, it's not lost on me that Elijah Lovejoy was um buried in a secret place because they were worried that his grave would be vandalized. It's not lost on me that no one was ever brought to justice for his murder. It's not lost on me that, um, I mean, eventually there was a road basically over his grave because nobody knew it was there. Um, like we, we lose a lot when we don't pay attention to the gaps. Yeah, and I think in our age, you know, there's always something new. There's always uh, we are moving around as individuals and the information ecosystem is always directing our attention to something new. And we forget these stories and we forget um, the the challenges that, as you talked about, that our nation's been through in the past and uh, the good work that people have done uh, to address wrongs in the past. And and that forgetting really has consequences for our ability to to live well together and to to be faithful and obedient followers of Christ uh, where we are now today. All right. I want to um, I want to continue this conversation with you and I want to um, I want to dig around with you in the way that we often think too highly of ourselves. We think too highly of literally our individual self. We think too highly of the time in which we live. We think too highly of, um, you know, this moment and uh, and sort of where we've arrived and what we've achieved. And we fail to take into account just how infinitesimally small we are. So I want, I want to invite you to reflect on the bigness of the universe and um, in light of the pictures we've all seen, um, from the telescope um, this week, and um, and just just take a moment to give us a little perspective um, on where we are and who we are in in the real broad scope of things. Could we do that in just a moment, Jeff? Sure. All right, we're going to take a very brief break, and then I'm going to ask Jeff Bilbro to, um, to give us a little bit of perspective on ourselves and the times in which we live. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. You got the keys, you 
We're continuing our conversation with Jeff Bilbro. You can find what he's writing at frontporchrepublic.com. Um, you ought to check out the water dipper while you're there. Um, so, Jeff, as we have, uh, you know, along with everybody else, seen these amazing pictures that NASA has released um, from the the Webb telescope, uh, some of the language that we hear um, millions of years, uh, the, the language of, um, you know, further than any human being has ever seen, uh, you know, I, it gives us... Um, it gives us reminders, uh, I guess, you know, Psalm 8, Psalm 19 come to mind, um, the expanse of the universe, just how really big it is. I also think that it it gives us an opportunity to just talk about how small we are. Yeah, that's right. And I think um, I, when I was looking at or like I was listening to the conversation around the Webb telescope has reminded me of that passage, a passage in the discarded image by C.S. Lewis where he's talking about how the medieval uh, mind, medieval people knew, and you quote the Psalms, right? People knew that that space was big and that the cosmos was huge and we were small. Um, but they also, I think there's a sense in which uh, a Christian should have a sense of the universe's order. And um, Lewis talks about how for, for the medieval man, the medieval person looking up at the night sky there is a sense that you're looking up almost at a at a cathedral or at an architectural architecturally vast but ordered cosmos and yet sometimes for the modern we look out at the night sky we look at these images of these sort of mind boggling numbers that we can't really imagine about how how far back in time or how far out in space and it can uh provoke a sense of almost um well, he calls it agoraphobia, this sort of sense of placenessness or fear of the hugeness. And I think Christians, you know, our, our sense should, should not be of um, lostness, I guess, but like you're saying, a sense of our smallness in, in a vast but ordered cosmos. So, uh, yeah, I guess there's kind of two different ways of experiencing our smallness. One emphasizes that we don't matter. And one emphasizes mm. that we have a particular, if if small, uh, but nonetheless particular and important place in a huge, uh, in a huge uh, cosmos. Yeah, that is really helpful, and I think that that um, that is definitely the perspective that you know I'm hoping people will have um, and yeah. be able to communicate with others. Like, yeah, we we are small, and our life is short, and the universe is really big and um and time is really long history is really long um but god is sovereign over it all and yeah. to him we matter um deeply he knows us individually uh in the same way that he's named and numbered uh, and placed all the stars he knows the number of hairs on our heads and our names are you know written in his hand um and so i think that there's a there's a perspective that Christians have um, uh, even on these images that you know all the world is now seeing further beyond where any human eye has ever seen, and you know it it, it brings to mind some of that you know the things upon which angels have longed to look. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great mystery and a paradox there, and that we are so small, and yet um, you know who is man that thou art mindful of him, and yet God 
God does know us intimately and individually. And I think that recognition of the vastness of the cosmos can bring home the uh, the remarkable gift that, that it is to be known by the Creator. Amen. All right, I read this um, this report on news engagement, and I thought, I bet Jeff has some thoughts on that in terms of people prioritizing where we spend our time. Um, it's not just readership that has sort of fallen off a cliff in terms of news engagement. It's engagement with the news that has plummeted. Americans are literally tuning out from the news over the course of the last couple of years, and pretty dramatically so um, in just the last quarter. What, what's going on? Yeah, it is. The numbers are pretty striking, you know, certainly among most TV stations, but also just news articles, engagement with news articles on social media. Uh, people seem pretty uh, tired of of the news cycle and checked out. Um, I mean, I think, I don't know, I've seen, judging from this and other numbers, you know, close to half of us are actively trying to avoid the news. And uh, I thought there was an interesting note at the bottom of this Axios survey that uh, sports and celebrity trials are, mm-hmm. are some of the things that we're turning to instead. You know, so it's like we're trying to find these kind of mindless distractions instead. And I think that there is there is both good and bad there. That on the one hand, people are recognizing that a kind of continuous diet of uh, outrage and uh, existential crisis and uh, chaos is not necessarily healthy for us. But on the other hand, you know, probably just checking out and uh, attuning ourselves to, to gossip or things that are less existential is not ideal either. So kind of finding that balance of deeper engagement and paying attention in ways that are sustainable and healthy is tough when um, when the whole news environment often wants us to gorge ourselves on on outrage and uh, crime or, you know, terrible tragedies and make us feel like something really important and, and horrible is happening all the time. Hey, a reminder, if you're listening, Jeff actually wrote a book on this, Reading the Times. It's a, a helpful literary and theological inquiry into the news. You can find Jeff and that book and everything else he's writing at jeffbilbro.com. Jeff, um, when you uh, when you make that reference to we continue to have this appetite for um, for sports and let's say celebrity trials, it occurs to me that both of those are still competitive, and that enables people to engage on social media in a in a me versus you or an us yeah. versus them kind of. It's still conflict oriented. It's not as if we are distracting ourselves with something good, beautiful, and true. We're distracting ourselves with something that's still competitive, that still enables us to get on social media and um, and sort of work out that aggressive, competitive um, angst that seems to be at the root of our polarization. Yeah, that's a good point, Carmen, that there's this, maybe it's kind of... Um diverted into less serious issues, but there's still that sense that we want to have, want to be participants in a competition where we can win and somebody else can lose. And yeah, it's maybe not the most healthy way to belong to a community or to, um, to try to understand what our neighbors are 
are dealing with and how how we may be called to help them and to love them in in the midst of what's going on right now. Hey, Jeff aggregates um, a really wonderful list of reading material for us at um, uh, on something called The Water Dipper, and you can find it at frontporchrepublic.com, frontporchrepublic.com. Jeff, as always, thank you so much, and I hope you're having a great summer. Thank you, Carmen. Great to talk with you. Likewise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're going to listen to Max Lucado's Upwards. This is Faith Radio. Sometimes I feel like um, I need to tell you what's coming, and sometimes we actually know what's coming because, um, you know, there's this many pregnant people in a particular place, and they're going to have this many babies, and that is going to result in a growing population. And then there's other places where, um, because of policies in the past, like China's one-child policy would be an example here, um, they've trained people into uh, imagining that... One child is absolutely the limit, and it takes more than a generation to convince people otherwise. Because actually, apparently when we're teenagers, that's when we think about um, how many kids we think people should have, including ourselves. And so depending on your experience as a teenager, that somehow works into how many children you, you seek to have later in life. So in China, having convinced their people over the course of generations that, you know, one child is the max. Um, China is now in a fairly precipitous decline in terms of its population replacement rate. And you say to yourself, well, that's 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 probably OK, because China's got, you know, maybe more people than it needs. Well, in India, there is no there has not been any such policy and India, which has been uh, the second most populous country in the world, is about to surpass China as the most populous country in the world. It's expected to surpass China as the world's most populous country by next year, 2023, in a new report from the United Nations looking at population trends. And so um, we're talking about, you know, 8 billion people globally. And so when we have talked in the past about, you know, reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we look at the two most populous nations in the world, China and India, or soon to be India and China, um, we're talking about places where the gospel does not dominate in terms of a percentage of the population and certainly not the history of the people. And yet those are both places where um, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. And so we want to celebrate that. And we want to um, fan the flame of that, even as even as we recognize that um, here in the United States and then more recently numbers coming out of Australia, a growing percentage of the populations in Western um, countries are um, not embracing Christianity, not identifying as Christian. So why talk about all this? Because we like to talk about what's going on in the world and fellow believers around the world, the challenges they face and how they're engaging the challenges of their day. Ruth Kramer joins us from Mission Network News. We're going to check in on Japan, Sri Lanka and Lebanon. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. To boldly go where no one has gone before. 
Well, as the president of the United States makes uh, an international trip to the Middle East and as we continue to um, have concern raised about a rising famine in Africa, we're going to spend some time today with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News in Sri Lanka, where um, one dynastic family has basically brought a nation to ruin in in a generation. Um, Ruth, first of all, good morning. And um, what is happening in Sri Lanka? Good morning. Um, well, we've watched Sri Lanka kind of slowly unraveling until it just sort of hit a peak uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, they have been a lot of protests that have been going on. When we spoke with our partners, Asian Access, uh, last week, they were telling us that there were going to be some major protests happening in the capital city on uh, Saturday. And what happened was a riot broke out, a complete mob actions where you had people attacking the prime minister's residence, people attacking the president's residence, and actually taking over those residences. Um, And today, on the other side of things, we're seeing that the president has left the country and that the Sri Lankan prime minister has declared a state of emergency. This is all coming on the heels of increasing inflation, increasing unemployment, um, ridiculous uh, supply chain issues. the, the fact that the economic crisis is overshadowing uh, corruption accusations um, has really served as sort of gas on the fire. And it's it's completely gotten out of hand where you have uh, a very strong response from the military and the police trying to get things back in order. Um, they're coming down on the the mobs. And of course, that's going to provoke a stronger reaction even yet. So as we speak, you have the military right now in the streets trying to quell the, the protests with tear gas and with uh, rubber bullets and things like that. It's actually probably not going to get better in the next 24 hours. Uh, our partners have been just saying, uh, that they are praying for the situation. They're trying to stay out of the way. So they've encouraged the uh, church networks that they're with which they're involved to be smart about how they're interacting with what's happening in the country. But they're also asking us to join them in prayer because this is an opportunity for the body of Christ to respond to, to needs, to respond to the uncertainty that comes with this kind of unrest, to respond to the physical needs that actually led to the situation where you have these, this kind of unrest. Um, and, and the leadership, uh, pray for the leadership, because uh, this is going to drive a whole other turnover. You've had uh, a government turnover. You've had a promise of new elections that are going to be coming up, I believe, in just a, a couple of weeks. I think they're they're looking at uh, a new parliamentary ballot coming up on July 20th to elect a new president. Um, so pray for all of these things. Uh, we are joining our brothers and sisters in Christ in asking God to just have his hand on the situation uh, to rise, raise up the right kind of leader that will help uh, with solutions to the the difficult um, crisis that's facing the country. 21, 21 and a half million people, an island nation uh, off the coast of India. Um, I think that, Ruth, we... We get so fixated on what's happening, uh, you know, like literally in our own neck of the woods and certainly in our own country. And we do lose sight of what's happening around the globe. So we genuinely appreciate the way in which you keep your um, your finger on the pulse of what's happening 
um, not only with Christians around the world, but others around the world to whom then Christians are called to minister and um, raise our concern. So let's pivot to Japan. We have talked about the assassination of Shinzo Abe, but let's, uh, let's have you take us into that story as well. When we first heard uh, of the shooting incident, we contacted our partners through Asian Access again um, in, in Japan. And when I spoke with the country director, he was in such shock about what was happening that he was finding it difficult to even express himself uh, in either language. He, he would kind of revert back to Japanese and then he would go back to English because he was struggling so much with the concept of what just happened. This kind of violence doesn't occur in Japan. So it's... Um, it's a new thing for them and what it means for taking out a leader that was uh, heading up a very influential governmental party just prior to the elections, which were which occurred on Sunday, um, was is something that people are trying to get their heads wrapped around. Um, in this situation, you know, you've had the funeral uh, taking place. Uh, you've had the elections taking place and Abe's uh, party actually took uh the majority of the seats. So the new prime minister is going to be able to get some things done without an awful lot of opposition. The thing we want to point out here is that the shooting was not politically motivated. Um, you know, in the U.S., you might expect something like that. But in this case, the shooter said that he had a grudge against the Unification Church in Japan and uh, his mother had made had bankrupted the family basically to support the Unification Church. And this shooter um was very angry about that. And the reason he targeted former Prime Minister Abe is because he felt that the former Prime Minister's uh, family did very little or nothing to prevent the spread of the uh, the, Muni, the Muni cult. And so what we're looking at here is a, a different kind of a situation that spotlights some of the, the challenges that face the body of Christ in Japan, and that is the prevalence of uh, cults in Japan. Uh, the Muni Church is enormous in this area, and there are a lot of people who get caught up in that. Um, and it's it's something that's very appealing to the Japanese mindset, so say our partners in Asian Access. Um, they are searching for some kind of meaning, for hope, for something to connect to in community. And religion answers that often, but all, a lot of times the, the cults get there uh, before the, the body of Christ does. And that's what has happened in the past, which is why you've heard things like um, uh, the description of Japan as being the graveyard of missionaries, because it was so hard to get people to understand the concepts behind the gospel. And then you had a number of things happen all at once with the, uh, the triple disaster, basically, that kind of uh, broke open the, uh, the shell of Japan and allowed some planting of the seeds of the gospel as the body of Christ responded to the crises. So on this end of things, now you have church networks that have been planted that are uh, coming out with the truth of the hope of the gospel. They're, um, they're meeting people. They, they are meeting influential people and also seeing uh, the gospel spreading through the churches that are being planted. What is interesting is these two stories tie together because uh, the um, – the, the branch of Asian Access that responded in one of the triple uh, disaster zones uh, created a project called the Nozomi Project out of the, the rubble and the, the shards of pottery in the uh, tsunami zone. 
and they created a business by making jewelry out of those broken shards. The prime minister's wife came to the project to see what was going on and to get to know the project coordinators, and who the, the leader of which is uh, uh, an Asian access missionary, and they got to be good friends. So now you have an Asian access missionary who is a close personal friend of the widow of Shinzo Abe being able to speak into a situation, offer the hope of Christ, offer comfort uh, in a time of national mourning and um, and speak well and shine the light of Jesus into a very tragic situation and on, on for the Japanese. Mm. Ruth, um, it, it's always so helpful to have you know, perspective from on the ground. And so thank you for keeping us connected to our brothers and sisters in Christ and how they're laboring and serving in um, in places that we read about in the headline news, but but to which we may not have um, a personal connection. So it's so helpful. I'm um, I'm also looking here at missionnews.org, and I'm looking at um, uh, a headline in relationship to the the rising food crisis um, across not only Africa but Asia and the Middle East. I'm wondering if we could take a minute to touch on this. Um, I was just reading a couple of days ago from the Associated Press, this record number of people worldwide moving toward starvation. That is, um, you know, from the United Nations report. What are you hearing um, from partners on the ground in uh, in these drought and now famine afflicted regions of the world? Well, this is kind of an interesting story. Um, we saw the report come out that it basically said there are 11 countries that are at severe risk of uh, a food shortage over the next couple of years. And food shortages is probably going to be uh, edging a little bit closer to um, what we might determine as a famine, but they're not using that language yet because it it has a whole other meaning uh, with that. Um, and, and so ministries like World Concern have been uh, engaging with some of these countries and planting um, networks uh, in there to respond to the physical needs that are obvious uh, that have been uh, on the rise over the last few years. Um, right now, we're talking to a group of people that uh, have been dealing with uh, the holistic side of ministry. So their their idea is to be the hands and feet of Christ, but also understanding that it's hard to hear the gospel over a rumbling stomach. So they are kind of combining the ministries of meeting those physical needs, providing nutritional supplements and, and food and medicine and that kind of thing uh, to people in a lot of the countries that have been named uh, in that report. Um, they're also focused on areas like in Sudan and South Sudan because you're also seeing uh, a lot of food crisis in those countries as well. Um, and as you see those kinds of things happening, it is coming through the hands and feet of Christ where uh, you've got believers that are coming up and saying, we know that you have need. Let us help you with this need. And there's no no strings attached. And when people ask, why are you helping me? It often opens the door for these people, these team members, these people representing the body of Christ to say, because um, Jesus Christ loves me and I am loving you because of him. And that, that you know, leads to more questions. So these become gospel opportunities, though I want to be very, very clear about this and saying it's not the hinge. It's not like handing a track to people. They're creating relationships with people on the ground, coming back into them and walking life alongside them and saying, 
let us help you with this. Get, let me give you a cup of cold water, but I'm doing this just so you know, in the name of Christ, because he loves me and I love you. And these are the neat things that you see happening. It transforms an area, it transforms a community when the body of Christ comes in there with no strings attached. Um, so when we talk about these things and we, we talk about these larger size crises, it feels like sometimes it's overwhelming, but drill down into this and ask God, what he wants from you in a response, how you can respond and find your place in the story um, and get behind some of the organizations that are boots on the ground. Um, pray, because we always ask them for how we can be praying into a crisis, into a situation, and then ask God to reveal where he wants to, what, what more he wants from you, because maybe you can advocate on behalf of a ministry or a people group or a country, or maybe God is asking something else from you. Just be listening for that and be watching for the things that really get your attention time after time after time, because that's sometimes how he reveals the direction. Mm, so helpful. We're going to continue our conversation with Ruth Kramer. We're going to uh, we're going to turn next to the continuing challenges in Lebanon. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, you can find the stories we're talking about today and a whole lot more at missionnews.org. Um, Ruth, we have talked about Lebanon from time to time in the past. I know you are keeping your finger on the pulse of what's happening there. So, um, so what is the latest? Uh, and I know this has uh, this has a relationship to the refugee conversation um, as well. Well, Lebanon is moving forward with plans to repatriate Syrian refugees. Um, they're looking at maybe 15,000 a month until they're all back into Syria. Uh, the issue is that Syria is not really a safe place for the refugees to return to. Um, the Syrian Network for Human Rights says that about half of the Syrian population has been displaced and they are refugees unable to return safely to their home country um, and afraid to return to their home country because of violations that are still going on. You've got different parties that are still in the area and controlling forces that are known to um, arrest uh, returning males that are coming back in. Um, a lot of returning males are being conscripted into military forces. Um, you have uh, a lot of just banditry and thuggery going on because it's lawless in Syria. And so the Syrian population doesn't want to go back because there's really no infrastructure yet in place to uh, allow people to live or to rebuild their lives, uh, and let alone having security. Um, this is a, a concern 
uh, that's coming from the Syrian population that is, that is displaced. And you see this happening more and more, though, in, in host countries that have a large Syrian population. We've seen it happening out of uh, Germany, France, and Turkey. And now you've got a situation with Lebanon where they're moving forward with plans to repatriate the refugees. Um, the the it, It's kind of two sides of, of a coin, though. It's not two sides of the – well, it is two sides of the same coin because it's the same situation surrounding the Syrian uh, civil war. But you have on one side a host country that no longer can really afford – to uh, mm-hmm. help the Syrian refugees because they are un, in uh, a major economic crisis of their own. And the resources that are being used to help the Syrian refugees are, um, well, they're, the, the Lebanese are saying it should go to the Lebanese because they have their own issues and their own problems. And so there's a lot of resentment that that is in place in Lebanon as they're hosting the Syrian refugees. On the other side, you've got the ministries that are working in the refugee camps saying the Syrians really don't want to go home. They're afraid. They're just terrified about what's going to greet them when they get back home. And they're afraid they're just going to be, you know, driven over the border in a bus and then kicked off the bus, you know, see you later, goodbye, and just abandoned um, on the ground there. Is their life going to be better in that condition or is it better in a country where they're not wanted? Um, and, and so you have that really – uh, high conflict and tension that exists between the communities right now in Lebanon. So I would say here, pray for the ministries that are working in Lebanon. Most of them are going to have some kind of connection with the refugee population because there's almost uh, 35% of the population of Lebanon right now are the Syrian refugees. So um, there's there's there are going to be very few ministries that have been isolated from the crisis. So they're seeing it from both sides. They, they they feel intensely what is happening in Lebanon and how the Lebanese people are suffering. And they also feel intensely what is happening to the Syrian refugees. And, and they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. So pray for ministries like Heart for Lebanon, uh, Triumph of Mercy, Horizons International, because they are all involved with this kind of a situation. They're looking ahead to see how the government is going to um, – implement this plan and how they're going to answer or respond to some of the needs uh, as they develop, because this is a plan that's going to take a lot of logistics in order to kick it off well. And um, when we're talking about how soon this is going to imp- be implemented, um, it's it's an estimate maybe within four to six months that you're going to start seeing 15,000 refugees being repatriated into Syria. Yeah, I think that the the language of repatriation um, is is euphemistic. Um, I think that the way that other people would describe this is, um, you know, like a forcible deportation of 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 refugees. Like, I get it. I don't know how five point three million Lebanese people have been hosting one point five million um, Syrian refugees for as long as they have. I don't I have no idea how that is even possible. Um, I recognize that at some point the pressure, um, the social pressure and the economic pressure in Lebanon results in them saying, okay, folks have to go, they have to go somewhere. Um, And I think that the world needs to positively help. Um, I I don't think that around the world we have um, helped nations that have been willing to host um, their neighbors who have fled across the border. and and maybe when it becomes such a long-term challenge, 
um, we lose sight of of the ongoing day-to-day challenges that both the Lebanese people who are hosting all of these refugees are facing, but then also the plight of the refugees themselves. It's um, it's a dire, dire situation. So thank you so much, Ruth, for helping us see it and helping us uh, remain connected to those I who are to on, on the ground there. Yeah, please. Mm-hmm. Um, this is. I want to end this on the on the the hope aspect. Just remember that before the Syrian civil war, getting the gospel over the borders was very difficult. So now mm-hmm. you're having all of these Syrian refugees that are going to be going back into their country, taking the gospel with them because of the ministries that have been helping them. Amen. Amen. Yeah, there is um, there, the gospel. The gospel advances, does it not? I mean, amen. That's that's such a helpful, hopeful and helpful note. Thank you so much, Ruth, as always. Um, thank you for joining us. Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find these headlines and a whole lot more at missionnews.org. The headlines at home are certainly those that um, hold our attention, each and every one of us. And so I recognize that, and I'm thinking about you today. I'm lifting you up in prayer today, your family, your friends, the health challenges in front of, uh, in, in front of us, financial stress, political division that we experience with our friends and families and in our communities, um, the challenges presented by addiction and depression and mental illness and having a special needs person in your family, um, on and on and on and on and on. Um, Just know that I am upholding you today and those headlines at home. um, I'm lifting them up before the Lord. Like my hands are open in intercessory prayer on your behalf. Um, Would invite you to be doing the same for me and, and others who are, um, who are listening with us right now. Like, right. We're a, we're a community here and um, the faith radio family wants to be encouraging one another in prayer. So I'll be praying for the headlines at your home today. You be praying for the headlines in my home today as well. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. You are listening to uh, Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.